In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Through the grace of God, we will study tonight chapter 11 from the Gospel of St. Matthew. Chapter 11 from the Gospel of St. Matthew. In this chapter, actually, we will focus on a comparison between the Lord Jesus Christ and John the Baptist. Not comparison, but how the people perceived both of them. Then we will speak about the Lord's judgment on the three cities of Galilee. Then this chapter concluded by thanksgiving of the Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father and a revelation and invitation. The invitation which concluded this chapter reflect the tender heart of our Lord Jesus Christ to those who are with troubled souls. Uh, in chapter 10, the Lord Jesus Christ actually instructed the apostles with certain instructions before sending them to preach the gospel. And this, what we call it, the limited commission. The Lord Jesus Christ, in the beginning, when he sent his apostles, he told them, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. That's why we say it is limited commission. In comparison to before his ascension, he told them, go and preach the gospel to the whole world. That's what we call the Great Commission. So, while the apostles started to fulfill the limited commission and go and preach to the lost sheep of Israel, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was approached by two disciples of St. John the Baptist, asking him, are you the one, are you the Messiah? Or should we wait for another? That is the first part of chapter 11. Then the Lord Jesus Christ revealed that John is the forerunner. John is the messenger. John is the prophet foretold by Malachi in his prophecy. And he make it clear, made it clear that the people were inconsistent in their opposition to both the Lord Jesus Christ and to John the Baptist, as we will explain. This inconsistency in opposing John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ. After this, the Lord rebuked the cities which did not repent and did not accept him as the Messiah. And he concluded the chapter as I told you, by extending a tender invitation to those who would accept his to comfort them. So we can summarize this chapter in two words, judgment and rewards. Judgment to those who will not accept him and reward to those who accept him and accept his ministry. Uh, and actually, if you follow from the beginning the Gospel of St. Matthew, you can see how when the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ start to spread, a scandal start actually to grow among the people. Why? 
because the scribes and Pharisees were offended by his preaching, they considered themselves the righteous people, and they were offended by the Lord Jesus Christ going seeking for the lost sheep. For example, when he called Matthew and he ate with sinners, they actually judged him how your master eats with the sinners. And we can see how the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ started to cause some scandal. Also, uh, another scandal arose because he did not let his disciples to fast during the time that he was serving with them. And he made it very clear that the disciples or the friends of bridegroom should not fast uh, as long as the bridegroom is with them. Another reason why the scribe and Pharisees opposed him, so number one, they opposed him because he ate with the sinners. Number two, because he did not allow his disciples to fast. Number three, because he sins. Them that's a blasphemy. No one can forgive sin except God alone. So when they heard Jesus Christ saying, your sins are forgiven, they accused him with blasphemy. But the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to them that he is doing this because of the divine authority, because he is God, but they did not accept this. So the scribe and Pharisees had two options or two choices. Either to conclude that Jesus Christ is blaspheming because he ate with the sinners, because he uh, forgives sins, because he did not observe fasting and he made himself equal with God. Or to believe that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecies and he is indeed the Messiah, he is indeed God who appeared in. But if they confessed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, this will condemn themselves. Because now, as Ezekiel prophesied about them in chapter, 33, chapter 34, the, uh, if Jesus is the Messiah, then they are the corrupt shepherds of Israel. And of course, of course they refused to... Uh, about themselves, to be the corrupt shepherds of Israel. That's why they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and rejected to confess that he is the Messiah. Uh, we can see that chapter 11 marks a major turning point in Jesus' ministry because with chapter 11, the disciples, his disciples start to preach and he himself, uh, you know, isolated, as I, I will explain, isolated himself for the disciples. Uh, also, this chapter begins with addressing the impact of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and his, teach, uh, and his works on the people and what his action revealed about his identity, that he is indeed the Son of God or God incarnate. Uh, also, uh, from this chapter, chapter 11 to chapter 16, the focus becomes the contrast between how people believed Jesus is the Messiah 
and how other group rejected Jesus and his teaching and considered him blaspheming. This is just introduction, but let's start reading verse by verse from chapter, uh, chapter 11. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. So here after instructing the disciples and sending them in their first missionary journey, journey, Jesus separated himself from the disciples. Why? in order to give them the ability to do what he told them to do, to announce the Gospels and to search for the lost sheep of Israel. St. John Chrysostom he said that Jesus separated himself from the disciples uh, because if he remained with them, with everyone, actually they will never learn how to preach by themselves and the people will seek out the Lord Jesus Christ and the people will never approach his disciples. So he separated himself and actually the Lord went to their cities to preach while the disciples went to other cities to search for the lost sheep of Israel. And here we can see how the Lord Jesus Christ never stopped searching for the lost sheep as we, we, we read, he departed from there, he left the disciples to go in their missionary trip, but Jesus departed from them and started to teach and preach in their cities. Verse 2, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another. Coming one means the Messiah. Uh, as you know, John was imprisoned because he rebuked Herod uh, regarding his adulterous marriage from his brother's wife. John sent two disciples to ask the Lord Jesus Christ, are you the Messiah? Are you the coming one? Or should we wait for another? There are two interpretations of this verse. I will mention the two interpretations, but I will tell you what is the correct interpretation and what our Coptic Church accepts this as the correct inter interpretation. The first interpretation, which actually is adopted by most of the Protestant churches, they said, in the suffering of John in prison, St. John the Baptist began to doubt that Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. But this is hard to believe, because John the Baptist himself saw the Holy Spirit descending as a dove and alighting on the head of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, he heard the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You know, listen to him. So. I don't think so, that John the Baptist 
because of the suffering in prison, he started to doubt the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what is the second interpretation, which is adopted by the Coptic Church and supported by the Church Fathers, as I will explain to you? John the Baptist, knowing that his martyrdom was near, so he wanted his disciples to see for themselves that Jesus is the Messiah and to join the Lord Jesus Christ in his mission. That's why he sent them, not because John was doubting, but because his disciples was doubting that Jesus is the Messiah. And St. John Chrysostom and St. Jerome embraced the second interpretation. St. John Chrysostom said, Jesus knew the mind of John who sent them, for he knew as God knows our inner thoughts. So Jesus knew that John did not doubt him, but it is his disciples, the disciples of John, who doubted the Lord Jesus Christ. John Chrysostom continues and says, There he was actively healing the blind, lame, and many others. He healed not to teach John, not to teach John, who was already convinced, but those who had come to him doubting, the two disciples who were doubting. Having healed them, he said, Go and tell John what you hear, and see. In this way, Christ drew them all the more closely to himself. This is actually the homily of St. John Chrysostom on the Gospel of St. Matthew. St. Jerome actually, he supported the same interpretation. He said, John asked this not because he is ignorant, but to guide others who are ignorant and to say to them, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. St. Jerome points out that John the Baptist knew he was going to die soon. He is going to be killed by Herod soon. Therefore, he was sending his disciples to Jesus so they could have answers to their questions to come to know Jesus more and to become the Lord's disciples. John Jerome believed that the problem was not with John the Baptist, but the problem was that the disciples of John the Baptist doubted the Lord Jesus Christ. St. Luke, when he mentioned this story, in Luke chapter 7, verse 21, we read that at the same hour, while the two disciples of John were there, at the same hour, the Lord cured many, of the, many from their infirmities. And actually, he performed uh, miracles of raising the dead from death. In Matthew chapter 9, we read about how the Lord raised the daughter of Jairus. And in Luke chapter 7, just before this story of John the Baptist, we read about the raising of the widow's son at Nain. And this was mentioned immediately before this passage. So, 
When the Lord told them, go and tell John, the dead being raised, yes, because he performed two miracles in front of them. And permitting these two disciples to see his work, he pointed that he is the Messiah. That is the answer. He is the Messiah. That's why verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So, the works of the Lord Jesus Christ was more convincing than even his words. If he told them, I am the Messiah, maybe they would doubt it. But he let them actually see his works. And from his works, they can judge whether he is the Messiah or not. So here we can see that the Lord did not give a direct answer. Yes, I am the coming one. But he made them conclude that he is the coming one. He is the Messiah. Actually, the history of the Jews tells us that during this time, the poor had always been overlooked by the Pharisees and the Jewish physicians, Jewish doctors. And here the Lord Jesus Christ, because the poor were overlooked by the physicians, so the Lord Jesus Christ actually, he, he came to heal the infirmities of these poor people. Also, he said, the poor have the gospel preached to them. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Again, the ancient philosophers and theologians had no gospel for those who could not pay for it. So the gospel was preached only to the rich. But the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came, he told them, free you have received, freely you give. And he preached the gospel to the poor. When the Lord said, blessed are those who are not offended in me, he is not referring to John the Baptist, but he is referring to the two disciples of John the Baptist. Uh, because they were doubting the Lord Jesus Christ and questioning whether he is the Messiah or not. St. John Chrysostom said, Jesus was gently reprimanding and rebuking John's disciple for doubting and being silently offended by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7 and 8. As they departed, when the two disciples departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. And of course, if John doubted the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord wouldn't say these words about John. He told, told them, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Because John was living in the wilderness. So he told them, 
What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. These two verses, God was sending a message to the scribes and Pharisees to tell them that you are inconsistent in your conduct and in your attitude toward John the Baptist and me. Why? They actually, the scribe and Pharisees, acknowledge John the Baptist as a prophet, divinely sent by God, divinely inspired. But they did not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Although John the Baptist said about Jesus, this is the Lamb of God. And said about the Jesus, the one who comes after me is mightier than I. And he said, I am not the bridegroom, but I am the friend of bridegroom. So, here the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to the religious people of Israel, you are inconsistent. How you claim and how you confess John as a prophet, true prophet, meanwhile, you don't believe his testimony about me, although John bore witness about me that I am the Messiah. And John said about Jesus Christ that he is superior than him. So when the Lord Jesus Christ pointed out the superiority of John's character, actually the Lord is telling, if John is so superior like this, then me, about whom John actually bore testimony that I am superior than John, then actually indeed I am the Messiah. Indeed I am God in the flesh. The first thing the Lord told them, did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? The reeds in the land of Egypt and Palestine is a very tall cane growing 12 feet high. But because of this height, it is easily bent by the wind. But John was not like the reed. Meaning what? John was not bent by every word of applause or displeasure. John was not carried by every wind of doctrine. John was steadfast. He did not change his mind when he confronted Herod. And he did not fear Herod. He told him, it is unlawful for you to take your uh, brother's wife to be your wife. So John was steadfast. He did not fear men. He was very strong. He was not like a reed shaken by the wind. Sometimes in order to please people, we become like reed shaken by the wind. We change our mind just to please people. Then. The second uh, analogy, the Lord spoke about the ascetic life of John. He, he said, 
John is not wearing soft clothes. Those who wear soft clothes are in king's houses. And maybe the Lord here was referring to Herod and Tipas, who arrested and imprisoned John. Of course, the desert, the wilderness, is not the place uh, to expect find clothing there. So, he was telling them John is a man of a different character. John the Baptist is coarse in his exterior. He's not wearing soft clothes. Hard in his character. Firm in his virtues. Suited to endure trials and hardships. And thus qualified to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the Lord told them, verse 9, But what did you go out to see? A prophet? For the scribe and Pharisees, John was a prophet. But the Lord told them, no. I, yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. John is just not a prophet. He is more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written in Malachi, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So, why he is more than a prophet? Because he was a reformer. He was a, the forerunner who came to prepare the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one who baptized the Lord Jesus Christ put his hand above the head of the Lord Jesus Christ and baptized him. Yes, indeed, he is more than a prophet. No other prophet was so honored like John the Baptist. He was the instrument in God's hand to prepare the people's heart to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And most probably, that because of his preaching and teaching, so many thousands attached themselves to, to the Lord Jesus Christ immediately after he appeared as a public teacher. We hear in the miracle of feeding the multitude, 5,000 men, other than women and children. How a person in a very short time had these thousands of people following him because John the Baptist actually paved the way and prepared the way before the Lord Jesus Christ. When he said, I will send before you my messenger, as I told you this prophecy in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. And also the meaning of the same prophecy, we can read it in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. Then... Verse 11 is one of the most confusing verses, but I we will explain it. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. So the Lord said it clear, John the Baptist is the greatest among those born of women. But the second part is a little bit confusing. He said, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, is greater than John the Baptist. So, who is the least? Who is the least? 
Yes, there had never been a greater man than John the Baptist. No one was worthy to baptize and, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was in his mother's womb. Yes, no one is greater than John the Baptist. But John the Baptist actually, uh, although he had the privilege of showing the fulfillment of the prophecies of the, uh, of the prophets, but John the Baptist himself actually did not enjoy certain things. For example, when he died, he went to Hades and he, he remained in Hades until, you know, the uh, crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord descended to Hades and restored Adam and all his children. That's why John the Baptist, he was not yet glorified by the passion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the kingdom of God was not established yet. The kingdom of God was established on the cross. That's why the Lord said, the least in the kingdom of God, we who are living in the kingdom of God, we receive more privileges even than John the Baptist. John the Baptist actually did not receive the privilege to eat and be united with the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we have this privilege. So, if you compare about what we receive and what John the Baptist received as privileges, actually the least in, in the kingdom of God, the least in the Christianity, received more than John the Baptist. That's why the Lord said the least in the kingdom of God is greater, greater concerning what we receive than show, uh, from privileges than John the Baptist. Yes, eventually John the Baptist received the merit of salvation and the burial of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and the Lord when descended to Hades, he took John the Baptist and uh, took him to the paradise of joy. Uh, John, St. John Chrysostom has another interpretation. He said the least here is referring to Christ because Christ was younger than John the Baptist by six months. So the least here, according to St. John Chrysostom, said the least referring to the younger in age. So Jesus, who's younger in age, six months than John the Baptist, he is greater than John the Baptist. Then another difficult verse, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What does this mean? Actually, if we go to Micah chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it, it will help us to understand the meaning of this verse. 
the Lord here as a shepherd he is saying Micah 2 verse 12 and 13 he said I will surely assemble all of you of Jacob I will surely gather the remnant of Israel I put them together like sheep of the fold like a flock in the midst of their pasture so the pasture here like the world and God will collect his people those who believe in him those who will listen to his voice and follow him he will collect them as a flock in the midst of their pasture they shall make a loud noise because of so many people they are surrounded with so many people then actually the, the Lord as a shepherd want to lead these people outside the world so as if he will make an opening a hole in the wall can you imagine if, if you have group of, of, of sheep want, to, want to, to flee and to escape through this hole in the wall so they will run so you can see as if there is violence here and who will, will actually get outside this uh, prison? Those who are violent. Those who can force themselves out. That's why, verse 13, the one who breaks open will come up before them. So Christ actually will break the wall and make opening for them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. Their king, Christ, will pass before them with the Lord at their head. This actually will explain and help us understand what the Lord meant by the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent will take it with force. So, as I explained, this passage pictures a shepherd pinning up for the night. He's gathering the sheep all the night. He built a sheepfold out of rocks or branches, maybe against the side of a mountain. And in the morning, he lets the sheep out by breaking a hole or making a gap or breach in the fence he made. Then he steps through this gate. He leads them with the sheep following close behind. The sheep have been pent up all night and can hardly wait to go out of their crowded quarter. They cannot wait, so they will force themselves in their pushing and shoving, all trying to squeeze through the gate at the same time they break the gate open even more, causing it to become wider and wider. And finally, they break out into the open pastures, rushing headlong after their shepherd. John the Baptist, maybe he who starts a small hole for the people by leading them to repentance. He opened the gate, he prepared the way. He preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
So, as if the people were imprisoned in prison of sin. So by telling them repent, he started to open a hole to get the people out of this prison of sin. So by responding to John's message of repentance and baptism for the remission of sin, the power of the kingdom of heaven began to be manifested. That's why the Lord said from the days of John, started by the days of John, the kingdom of God suffers violence. Because John is the one who started calling people to repentance. Then Jesus, the King, the Messiah, came along and personally he let his sheep out of this prison of sin, out of darkness, into his marvelous light. So now we can understand why the Lord said, from the days of John until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent will take it by force. Suffer violence because the people want to get out of this prison of sin. And they have actually to fight against sin in order to get out of this door of repentance. Of this window of repentance that was even opened first by John the Baptist, then the Lord Jesus Christ broke completely this wall. So we can say the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, means to be obtained by force. Violent here, the violent actually will take it by force, means we, uh, it's violence about upon ourselves by putting our desires and passions to death. That's what we call mortification. Mortification from the word mortal, to die. Putting to death our passions and our desires. Repentance, resisting our wicked tendency. Why from the days of John until now? As I explained, because this is a period that started with repentance, calling people to repent. And actually John the Baptist is considered the beginning of the end of the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. He started the fulfillment of the promises and the Old Covenant. Also, we can say the gates of heaven had been closed since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. But now with the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was appointed as our king, our savior, our high priest, our prophet, the gates of heaven are torn, are opened. You remember in the enactment of resurrection, the, the deacons outside, they open the, the eternal gates, so the king of glory will enter. The violent here referring to us, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, who violently opposed the rule of Satan and his, his force and his soldiers. And these people will suffer violence in order to bring about the kingdom of Jesus Christ, to preach and to spread the kingdom of Christ. So we suffer violence, but we ourselves 
will be strong, as violent against the kingdom of Satan. So, the more we are enthusiastic and the more we are eager, actually, the more we'll be able to spread the kingdom of Christ. So the comparison here, it's compared to a walled city, city surrounded by a wall. And the men inside this wall tried to storm and enter. So they take it by force. Uh, then the verse uh, 13, the Lord said, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Then the Lord concluded this passage by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, yes, all the prophets and the law of Moses, the five books of Moses, they actually referred to the Messiah and referred to John as the forerunner. So St. John brings the Old Testament era of the previous covenant and, and, and missions, of the prophets to a close. He ended this era. He is the only successor of the last prophet Malachi. No other prophet appeared after Malachi. And St. John's mission is a continuation of Malachi's mission. And he fulfilled Malachi's last prophecy. When Malachi said, you know, uh, about John the Baptist, that he will come in the spirit of Elijah. That's why the Lord said about John, uh, all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Because he is the last prophet before the fulfillment of the prophets and the law. As I told you, the law here, referring to the five books of Moses. And the prophets refer to the books of the Old Testament. When the Lord said, if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah, who is to come, of course, we don't believe in the reincarnation. So he is, uh, there is uh, similarities between John the Baptist and Elijah. So, as Elijah will prepare the way for the Lord in his second coming, John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord in his first coming. Malachi predicted that Elijah would come to prepare the way of the Lord. And this prophecy was fulfilled in John. Of course, he was not literally Elijah, but he is the spiritual Elijah. Elijah was celibate, John the Baptist was celibate. Elijah actually lived in the wilderness, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. Elijah confronted Ahab the king, uh, John the Baptist confronted Herod. Elijah will prepare the way before the second coming of Christ. John the Baptist prepared the way before the first coming of Christ. And, and the Lord concluded this passage about John the Baptist by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Actually, this statement was repeated many, many times in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Gospels, we can count nine times 
the Lord said this statement, he has ears to hear, let him hear. And also it's mentioned eight times in the book of Revelation. Uh, and, of, uh, and, and Jesus Christ here, he is the new prophet, as San, uh, so, the archi-prophet said about the Lord Jesus Christ that God will send you a prophet from among you. This about the Lord Jesus Christ in Deuteronomy 18 from verse 15 to verse 19. Verse 16. From verse 16 to 19 here the Lord started to confront and to rebuke his generation with their inconsistency. He told them, but what shall I like in this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companion and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned it to you and you did not lament. Then he explained what he meant by this. He told them, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine biber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. So what does it mean wisdom is justified by her children? Here the Lord Jesus Christ starts to rebuke his generation. Uh, sometimes in the marketplace, uh, during the time of Jesus Christ, people start to play uh, like a mock wedding or a mock funeral. Not real wedding, but just like a play. But the dissatisfied children, the people who are not satisfied, they were pleased with neither. They, they were not pleased with the wedding and they were not pleased with the uh, funeral. So when they played wedding, they did not dance. When they played funeral, they did not lament. So the Lord is telling them, me and John the Baptist are different in our lifestyle. John came with ascetic lifestyle. He was fasting. He lived a very, very difficult life. So John the Baptist, as if he is a funeral game. And Jesus Christ came eating and drinking. So, and he said about himself, he is a bridegroom. So Jesus here likes the wedding game. And the generation of the Lord Jesus Christ were not satisfied with John or with the Lord Jesus Christ. They rejected John's ascetic lifestyle and they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, also his lifestyle. Uh, so the Lord told them, you are not happy with, with either, you are not satisfied with either. So you will be lost, because at the end you cannot accept any style. Some people take this word, wine, paper, as the Lord Jesus Christ was drinking wine. 
uh, and they used this to justify for themselves to drink. But here, uh, just I want to tell you, there is difference between wine and a strong drink. Maybe in Arabic is clear, al-khamr wal-muskir. Strong drink makes people get drunk. But wine, which actually is prepared only by fermentation, does not make people to get drunk. But a strong drink is prepared by distillation. And because of distillation, the percentage of alcohol is very high and makes people to get drunk. So the wine, if it's prepared just by fermentation, so if it's prepared only by fermentation, it will not make people get drunk. That's why the Bible differentiates between strong drink and wine. So this kind of wine, you know, it's light, harmless, the wine that was prepared in Palestine. And it's very, very, very slight percentage of alcohol. Of course, the modern wine right now is very different. It has a higher percentage of alcohol. So they said about the Lord Jesus Christ, a glutton, because he was invited to Matthew's banquet and he ate there. He was invited to the wedding of Cana of Galilee and he ate there. So he said about him, a glutton, and wine bibber, a friend of tax collector and sinners. Yes, as we read in Matthew chapter 9, he actually went to the maid by Matthew and he ate and, and drank with the tax collector and sinners. And he told them, the whole don't need physician, but the sinners. I did not come to call righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. But the people were very loud in their complaints against uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, against John the Baptist. John the Baptist, they were against him because the lifestyle of John the Baptist rebuked their self-indulgent. And they rebuked and, and complained about the Lord Jesus Christ because he did not live according to their hypocrisy. So the Lord is challenging them. If you admired the fasting and penance and asceticism of John, why you did not follow John? And if you follow John, actually you will end up following me, because John actually uh, bore testimony about me. And if you did not like the fasting and ascetic life of John, why you did not follow me, who according to you I came eating and drinking? And here actually, we may differ in our lifestyle. So we should not condemn one another because of lifestyle. As long as we keep the principle, there is difference between a principle and application. Principle, all of us will agree on the principle, or we should agree on the principle. But how to apply the principle may differ from one person to another person. We should not judge each other about how we apply the principles. But we should actually take a stand 
if a person violating the principles of the church and the teaching of Christ. So, whatever way they choose, they might have arrived at salvation if they choose St. John the Baptist or uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me explain what I mean by application and principle. Principle is to dedicate your life to Christ. That's a principle. Some people dedicate their life to Christ through marriage. Some people dedicate their life to Christ through celibacy. So this should not actually condemn this or this should not feel more righteous than this. No. Both groups you know, are glorifying God in different ways. But both groups actually the ultimate goal to glorify. Then what does it mean? The wisdom will be justified by her children. The Lord meant here, those who are wise will approve both courses of John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, those who stand in opposition to John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ, they are standing in opposition of God's plan uh, to save the people. And in refusing to accept the example of John the Baptist and the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are turning away from the wisdom of God. But those actually who accept the way of John the Baptist and the way of the Lord Jesus Christ, so they justified the wisdom of God. They, they proved that God is righteous and his plan to save us is a righteous plan. So those who are wise will approve both the course of John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the spiritual will recognize the wisdom of God, both in the asceticism of John and in the loving mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, who condescended to eat with the tax collector and sinners. That's why he said the wisdom will be justified by children. The children of God will actually prove and uh, testify for the wisdom of God and his plan to save the people. So then from verse 20 to 24, he rebuked the city of Galilee. Why? Because he was living there and he made many, many miracles there. Verse 20, then he began to rebuke cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And he rebuked three cities. First city, Wout you Chorazin. Second city, Wout you Bethsaida. And he said, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. The third city he rebuked, Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. It wouldn't have been burned. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. 
term. Of course, no other generation and no other cities had witnessed so many miracles like these three cities in which the Lord Jesus Christ was living. Uh, what was mentioned in the Bible about the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ was very little about how many miracles he actually performed. Uh, so, here the Lord was expecting these people to repent. If the Lord did not do so many signs, he wouldn't rebuke these people. But the goal of the Lord Jesus Christ is bring all these people to repentance. He preached, he performed many signs, but they did not believe in him. That's why he used the word wow. Wow to you, it's a cursed judgment. Cursed judgment placed by the prophet or by a messenger of God against people who refuses the message of God, who refuses to repent and return back to God. And these are the three cities who, whom the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked, Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida. Because these were important towns at the Sea of Galilee where the Lord Jesus Christ lived. No other city had the privilege to hear the Son of God and to witness words like these cities. The people in these cities talked to the Lord Jesus Christ, touched him, communicated with him. But actually, these people did not believe in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they were the object of his uh, judgment. On our shoulder, totally submit to him, and here is only you will find rest to your soul. When you learn from him to be humble, to be lowly of heart, as he told us, learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. The gentle and the humble people actually will have rest and peace in their heart. But those who are prideful, those who are arrogant, those who are not gentle, they are rude with others, they cannot find peace and rest in their hearts. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.